really that, that's what we're looking today at Psalm 46. And this psalm is, is near and dear to my heart in so many ways. And it's actually quite pivotal to bringing me to the point of where I am today. And it really goes all the way back to the summer of 1999. Um, I had just finished my sophomore year of college. Um, and it was the year that Leslie and I met. It was the year that we began to date. And it was the year that uh, she broke up with me. And uh, I say broke up with me, but let's just put it like it really is. She dumped me. Uh, I, she dumped me. And, and we, we had dated, I guess, we started dating the year prior in 1998. Uh, for, we started and we dated for about six months. And in March of that year, she ended the relationship. I never saw it coming. I was blindsided there. And I can tell you that I handled that like real manly and just said, well, hey, no big deal. There's other fish in the sea. Um, hey, we'll just move on uh, from there. But that's not how I handled it. Um, I was, I was quite literally, I was, I was devastated. Um, and maybe it would have made it, uh, I was angry, I was hurt. I had all those emotions. Maybe it would have made it better if I had been the one breaking up with her. That's just my pride speaking there. Um, but I, I was devastated, uh, in that. And I was devastated because I really believed that she was the one, even at that young age, I was like, I, I know that she was the one. Now I do take some gratification in the fact that I was right. Um, <laughs> So I, I don't let her not see that. I'm like, don't forget, I was right. You are the one. Um, but she didn't see that at the time, and, and rightfully so. Um, didn't feel the same way. And the big reason why was because I wasn't the man that, uh, that she needed. And I wasn't the man that I needed to be. And I wasn't the man that anyone needed in that point in time. Now, does that mean I, I was a horrible person? No. Um, I don't believe so in that. I, I, what I mean by that is that Leslie had become my little G God. I had put her above all else. Um, the thought of being with her, the desire to be with her, all of those things. And you would have come back and said, okay, I was still doing my quiet time. I was still having time with the Lord. I was having my Bible studies. I was going to church. I was going through all the motions, but she was number one. And quite Frankly, her breaking up with me was one of the most loving and gracious and things that I, I'm more thankful for than I can even possibly begin to imagine. Because if it was not for her breaking up with me, dumping me, um, I, would, I, I would not be the man that I am today. But it does not change the fact that I was devastated. And you couple that with all the coming of age stuff of 1920 and those areas, a real wrestling with, with God on, on the call to ministry that I was feeling upon my life and what that looked like and all of those things. It was a difficult year. But it was that summer that I, I signed up and I, I got a position to work in a recreation staff at a camp in called Camp of the Woods in upstate um, Adirondack Mountains of New York. And I went up there that summer. It was a great job. I was able to, to lead hikes. I was able to uh, whitewater rafting, um, you know, canoe trips, all of those different things. It was a great experience. But that summer was divided into two halves, before the mountain and after the mountain. Before the mountain was rough. It was rough because I wasn't joyful. I wasn't, uh, uh, definitely wasn't resting in Christ or any of those type of things. It was a carryover of relationship and life stuff and all of that. And then there was a day where a group of us on a day off decided we're going to hike one of the highest mountains in the area. It was about elevation of five or 6,000 feet. 
And we go and we begin the hike. And I was in pretty good shape at that time, not now, but then. And we began to do the hike. And for whatever reason, I was not able to keep up. And the, the further everybody got ahead, the further I lagged behind. And then my emotions just started to build. And I was, I was physically worn out. I was emotionally worn out. I was spiritually worn out. And I was the angry. And I was beginning just talking out loud even to God. I'm like, I'm, I'm frustrated here. And I'm upset here. And I'm just pouring it, it all out. And then I get to the top of the mountain. I don't have anything to do with anybody else who left me behind. And I go and I just sit down at the overlook. Picture Maryland Heights, um, but higher and with an even better view. And I'm sitting there, and I am just hit with the beauty of God's creation. It's like I could not speak. And then like, it, it might as well have been an audible voice. It wasn't, but might as well have been. A verse that I had memorized as a young kid just surfaced right into my brain. Be still and know that I am God. Just that first part, be still and know that I am God. It's that combination of both of those. Be still. Stop talking. Quit moving. Quit doing. Quit thinking. Just be still and know that I am God. Sat through silence and I came down the mountain eventually. I don't think I said a word the entire way down the mountain make it my way all the way back to the camp, get in my room, go to my room, open, sit down on my bed, and I open up to Psalm 46. And here's what I read. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There's a river, who, river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Now, that little word, Selah, is a strange little word, isn't it? It has no official definition, but most believe it to be an instruction to pause, to meditate upon what has just been sung or just been read. Really, it's a, it's a charge to praise the, the glorious God that is being revealed in the text that we have just read with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Give this God praise. And sitting in my little bed in that little cabin in upstate New York, no TV, no smartphone, don't even think I had a dumb phone, no computer, just, just me and God's word. That's exactly what I found myself doing. Humbled. As all the emotions, all the feelings, all the thoughts that I had been wrestling with were being illustrated in this text right here. Talk about earth giving way, it's what it felt like to me. 
mountains like moving, waters roaring. That's what it felt like to me. That's the way I felt. Now, looking back, now 20 years later, I'm like, dude, you're 20 years old. Those troubles are nothing. But they, were not, they weren't nothing at the time. They were something. Just like whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're going through today isn't nothing to you. Big or small, whatever you're going through right now feels huge at the time that you're going through it. It's massive. It's all-consuming. You can feel like the earth is giving way all around you, and that feeling is real no matter what anybody else wants to say. That's the way you feel. That is your present. So the question is, how do we overcome that? How do we continue to fight for joy in the midst of the darkness? How how do we continue in the faith when it feels quite literally like the, the earth is giving way all around us? Well, these are the types of questions that I want to attempt or try to answer as we press into Psalm 46 today. A psalm I've probably pressed into as much or more than any text in the Bible. And there's never been a time that I have come away from this psalm uh, without the Holy Spirit like teaching me, comforting me, encouraging me, equipping me, convicting me. There's just so much here. I mean, just from reading what we see here, we can know that the psalmist is experiencing trouble. We know that the psalmist is experiencing fear. There's anxiousness, there's uncertainty, there's instability. We don't even know the exact context of this psalm, but just reading it, we gather that, and immediately this weary heart relates to that. I understand that. I'm like, that's the way I feel. So I can only imagine how the Israelites must have felt when they were under attack from the Assyrians and the Babylonians. The world kind of seems to be caving in around them, wars and all of these things happening, being eventually taken off into exile. And yet they are still singing, God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. Therefore, we shall not fear. So I don't don't know if you're familiar with this psalm or not, but I have found it to be an extreme source of, of comfort through various seasons of life, not just 1999 but even the more difficult troubles and trials that have come since. The infertility, the job loss, the church hurt, my own personal insecurities. I come back over and over to this psalm. And since there's no way for us to cover it all, what I want to do is kind of take you back to, to my interaction with this psalm. Focus on verse 10 at first and then use verse 10 to help us look at the rest of this psalm. Because what are the very first two words of verse 10? Be still. Be still. Which is like the hardest thing in the world for some of us, right? Like we have trouble being still. Can't just sit there we got to do something. That's why we pick up our phone a thousand times a day for no apparent reason whatsoever. We're just, why? One of the things that drives me crazy, and I don't tell her I said this, she wasn't in the first service, I didn't say it then. My wife, when we're watching a show, like right in the middle of the show, and she just gets up and goes starts to iron something or do something. And I'm like, why? She has trouble being still. I have trouble being still. But notice the instruction in verse 10 isn't simply to be still. 
It's not saying, hey, go for a walk on the Appalachian Trail and just clear your mind. It's not just saying sit there and don't do anything. It's be still and know that I am God. I have trouble doing that as well. See, last week we talked about pressing into the character of God. Today we're talking about pressing into the person of God. As J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God, and if you have not read that book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, it is one of the top three, top five books that have impacted my life. Highly, highly recommend this book. But he says, no subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. How true that is. You ever stand outside and attempt to count the stars or to think about where everything came from and to start thinking back about God and the existence of God and his pre-existence over everything and you're saying, oh, is the humbling, humbling nature that that has. But you know what it also does? While that subject humbles the mind, it also expands the mind. It begins just to, to think about this glorious and great God for who he is, not for some little box that we want to put him in. He is a great and holy and righteous and good God. And that's exactly what I, I want us to think about. I want it to happen and experience in our lives today as we look at four, four truths about God that are just jumping off the pages of these texts. Starting with number one, be still and know that God is all-knowing. Look at verse one. In the first part of verse 2, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. What is the psalmist experiencing here? Trouble. He's experiencing fear. And we don't know what the troubles are. We don't know what the, the fear is extending from. But we can tell from the writing that it's, it's overwhelming. You ever feel that way? Which is why the, the psalmist is in need of what? Refuge, strength, he needs help. And here's what I find comforting. God knows this. God knows he needs help. See, God is our refuge and strength because he knows we need refuge and strength. He knows this. Even when we do not realize it ourselves. God knows we need it. You want to get straight to the heart of the matter? That's what we find in Jesus. Refuge from sin. Refuge from death. When it gets to the heart of the matter, it's what we have in the Holy Spirit. The strength, the power to overcome sin. But back to God being all-knowing. <laughs> Scripture tells us there is nothing that God doesn't know, whether past, present, or future. And that's down to the smallest of details. No matter how seemingly insignificant, he knows. There's nothing, nothing outside of the knowledge of God, including our sin. He knows our sin. He knows our sinful hearts better than we know our sinful hearts, which demonstrates his love for us that much more. That he, that he chose us before the foundation of the world to be in him, to be in Christ. Knowing how sinful we are, how we would sin against him, and yet he still chose us. But God's omniscience, his all-knowingness, also means he knows our fears, 
our troubles, our weaknesses, our anxieties, and he knows them better than we do. He knows them all better than we do. Meaning there's no event or circumstance in your life that is ever going to catch God off guard. Not one. There's not going to be one thing that comes along and you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. No, he knows all of it. Nothing is outside of the knowledge of God. Nothing. Which I know brings up all kinds of additional questions. Questions that we don't have time to dive into today. But here's where I want to dive in. All of this. All of this means that we are known by God. Think about that, students. Think about adults. We are known by God. We're not just another name or number on a list. We are known by God. And I don't know about you, but that comforts me. That comforts me in a big way. Like God knows me. (laughs) He knows my fears. He knows my troubles. He knows me and still loves me. (laughs) That's like what I find absolutely amazing about like marriage and genuine friendship. The ability to be known. Like really, really known. Warts and all, right? Right? Like, Leslie knows me better than anybody else on this planet. And she still chooses to be married to me. <laughs> like, that blows my mind. Right? And you're like, yeah, it blows our minds too. <laughs> like, it blows my mind, especially since she, can, she dumped me almost 20 years ago. But that's not what's really amazing. That's not even what's the most amazing thing. God knows me better than she does. He knows you better than anybody around you knows you. And he loves me. He loves you with a never-ending, never-fading, always and forever love. It's not just that he knows us. He's made it possible for us to know him. You think about that. He's made it possible for us to be still and to know that he is God. Number two, be still and know that God is all-powerful. See, it's not enough that God knows all things. He also has power over all things. He's not just sitting there with the knowledge, like, yeah, I got it all figured out, I know it. No, he has power over all things. And that's what makes his knowledge comforting. Because he has the power to calm our anxious hearts. He doesn't just know that our our hearts are anxious. He has the power to still them, to calm them. Look at verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a reason the psalmist is able to say, we will not fear because he knows that God is his refuge and strength. He knows that God is a very present help in trouble. And how is God those things? How can he or we say that God is our refuge and strength with confidence? Because God is all powerful. He is all powerful. Uh, The very earth that feels like it is giving way, the mountains that are being moved, the waters that are roaring, All of those are spoken into existence by who? By God. 
He pre-exists everything. Nothing exists without him. All things were created through him. Colossians specifically focusing this upon Christ. All things were created through him and for him. And in him all things hold together. It's comforting. I turn and I look and I'm reading Jesus, the account of Jesus calming the storm in Mark chapter 4. The storm is what? It's raging all around. The disciples are in the boat being bounced to and fro. They're, they're consumed with fear in that moment. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. <laughs> He's sleeping. Disciples come in a panic to wake him up. Like, don't you care that we're going to perish? We're going to die? Do you not care? And how does Jesus respond? He wakes up. He speaks. He instructs the, the wind and says to the sea, Peace, be still. There's those two words again. Be still. And what happened? The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Creation responded to the instruction of its all-powerful creator. Which is followed by what? Jesus asking the disciples the question, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Jesus, this question could also be understood as Jesus asking, do you not understand who is in the boat with you? Do you not understand who is in the boat? Which brings us to number three. Be still and know that God is ever present. He's present. And I think this, this is sometimes the hardest for us. It's the hardest for me. We believe God is all-knowing. We believe that God is, is all-powerful. It's like, okay, I got that. I believe it. God's all-knowing. God's all-powerful. But I don't feel like he's present sometimes. You ever feel that way? You're like, I know these things. I know it's true, but I don't feel that he's present. But throughout for, Psalm 46, God is telling us loud and clear, I'm present. I'm here. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What does that mean? It means that no matter how big the troubles we face are, God is there. In the words of the late philosopher Francis Schaeffer, he is there and he is not silent. He is present with us. He's there in the storm with the disciples. He's present with them. He's present with them. He's present with us. He's not distant and far off. He's not disengaged from our lives. He's present. In fact, he's interceding. Christ is interceding on our behalf, praying on our behalf to the Father. He's actively present in our life. And he's speaking to us through his word, the exact same words that Jesus spoke to the storm. Be still. Be still. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. <laughs> I can't even begin to express how comforting these verses have been to this weary soul. Again, we don't know the full context behind this psalm. But by every indication, the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High, is speaking of Jerusalem. This is how the original audience would have likely understood it. 
It can also be understood as the new Jerusalem, the one that is to come in, in the end times. But even more specifically, both then and now, it's referring to the people of God. And it's a reminder that God is with his people. We see it in the Exodus with the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. We see it with the tabernacle. We see it with the temple. We see it with the Ark of the Covenant. But no more anywhere else in the Scripture do we see it more so than in the person of Jesus Christ. We go back to the book of Isaiah, the name Emmanuel, meaning what? God with us. It's a reminder that the eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God took on flesh and dwelt among us. He is present. And as real as Jesus' presence on the boat was, was the disciples, he is present with you today, Christian. If you are in Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit in full. You are not alone. And I know, I know we are tempted to think that, well, pastor, that's not the same. Like Jesus was literally in the boat with them. That's not the same as today. Oh, but we have something far better. See, I remember in the same book, in the Gospel of Mark, the story of the transfiguration. And he had Jesus go up the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And he's transfigured before them. Incredible, radiant experience. And right there, they're also seeing Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. Like talking to them face to face. And then it's like, okay, no matter how real this experience is, Peter comes back, writes in 2 Peter, telling us that we have something more sure than any experience, and it is the Word of God. And God is telling us, Christian, today, through His Word, the Bible, the same thing that Jesus, the Word of God in flesh, said to the storm, be still and know that I am God. I'm I'm the one in the boat with you. I'm there with you. I'm present. It's what the refrain found in verses 7 and 11 is meant to remind us of. That no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter how difficult the season, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Which brings us to the final observation. Be still and know that God is unchanging. I'm sticking with verses 7 and 11 here. And there's so many things about all of this. I just wish I could unpack even further. But the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Look at the descriptor that is being used here. The God of Jacob. This is the reminder of the promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It was the promise that God had made to create for himself a people through whom all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And we don't have time to dive into that into to great detail, but what we see in, in that over and over and over throughout Scripture is what we see is that God is a promise-keeping God. Scripture tells us over and over and over again that he is a promise-keeping God. He is steadfast and unchanging in his love for his people, which is on full display in his promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. I mean, you think about Abraham being infertile, unable to have a child, and then at the ripe old age of 99, (laughs) Isaac comes along. 
There's problems with Isaac and his life and things. And here's Jacob. You have the story of Joseph and you have how all of these things playing out, ultimately leading us to Christ. See, the the reason we have confidences in this is because this promise finds its fulfillment in Christ. We go back to verse 10 of Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Know that I am God. But that's not the end of verse 10. It goes on to say, I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. How? Through Christ. Through Christ. Notice here, there's no maybes. It's a will be. It's happening. It's a guarantee. See, Christ is our refuge and strength. Christ is our very present help in trouble. Christ is the reason we shall not fear. You notice those calls, those charges, we shall not fear being found through the Psalms, being found through Scripture. Why? Because what is our greatest enemy? Sin and death. And who defeated them once and for all at the cross? Christ. Once and for all. Christ is with us. We shall not fear. It is through Christ that peace is brought forth and wars cease. It is through Christ that this broken, fallen, purse-ridden world will be brought to desolation and eventually made new. Christ is our fortress. So no matter how difficult or no matter how joyous this season may be, church, let's take time to be still and know that he is God. For he will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in all of the earth. And let's join him in that exaltation. Let's join in praising him, worshiping him, proclaiming him. Let's take refuge in him. Trust him. Trust this all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, and unchanging God. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come. And as they do, church, I, I want you to know, I want you to know the God who knows you. I want you to know this God. And I'm not just talking about in a saving sense. Yes, that way. Most importantly, first and foremost, yes, that way. But for we who are in Christ, to not just simply go through the motions, not just simply to say that we believe in God, but to know the God who has made himself known, to be still and know that he is God. Church, these are the truths that have carried me for the better part of the last 20 years continue to carry me. And I pray that they're going to carry you too. I want you to see the faithfulness of this God. In fact, that's why I've requested the next song, just to be simply great as thy faithfulness, to point us back to this God and the faithfulness of this God. Let's pray together and then let's sing in response. Lord, we thank you Yes, that you are glorious. Yes, that you are great. And yes, that you are holy. Yes, that you are God. But you have made yourself known to us. So there's a part of me that just wants to sing, Behold our God. But in this season of thanksgiving, I also just want to reflect upon you and say, great is thy faithfulness. 
upon this wretched sinner. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for Christ. And Father, for be anyone here who does not know Christ, make yourself known to him today. Convict us of sin that is known and unknown. Bring us to faith and deeper faith today. In Jesus' name, amen.